0: My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer, and I'm grateful to gather with you this morning. I'm grateful that we get to worship together. Um, I want to remind us that, that this time of worship um, does not end when I come on stage and start talking. Um, this time of our service, of our gathering, the preaching of the Word, is still worship. Um, When the band puts their instruments down and they walk off stage, we're not done with worship. The preaching of the gospel is why we gather. It's the thing that our souls need. It's the bread that gives us life. And so um, when I come up here and I I start talking or Brian comes or anybody else comes to preach, um, I hope that our brains don't switch off from this moment of worship Um, But I hope that our brains actually, our minds and our our souls continue into worship, looking to God, uh, to His truth, and praising Him and telling Him thank you. And that being said, I want to say that any time you guys make noise, whether it's during the song or during um, the preaching or anything, that's not for us. Like, you might be facing the stage, but your praise doesn't come up to the stage. We're sending that up. And that is glorifying Jesus, okay? So even though it does give me more energy when you guys are loud and and interactive, um, that's not for me. That's for God's Word. That's for His truth and His gospel. Um, That being said, it doesn't look like I need to say it today, but we need to get into the habit of saying this because we are growing. Um, And so what I want us to practice doing, it doesn't look like you have to this time. But maybe next time we're going to squeeze into the middle of our sections because uh, it's a lot easier after the kids leave for everyone to see the ends of the, the sections to find the empty chairs. But um, I'm grateful that we are growing um, and, and grateful that that so many people come to, to sit under God's Word and, and worship with us um, today. And for the following seven weeks, we will be worshiping Um, through the the preaching of God's word, the gospel through Micah. Now, um, you see our graphic here. We're in a new sermon series. The words of God's minor prophet, Micah, will preach the gospel to us because the gospel is not only in the New Testament. It's all the way through the entire Bible. Today's message will be, uh, it'll serve as an introduction. So we read um, Micah 1.1. And what I hope, my primary goal for this series is that we would see that what our sin destroys, God heals. And if you're a note taker and you like to write down that primary thought that I give you, that keychain verse, that is it. What our sin destroys, God heals. This is a concept that I hope that we can keep coming back to, not just in Micah, but uh, just forever. That that's the centerpiece of of our worship time, and of our preaching. Um, Because it's not just the message of this book. It is the message of the entire Bible. It is the center of our story as people, as humans, that what our sin destroys, God heals. And so when we see in verse 1, the word of the Lord that came to Micah, and we understand that the message that God is preaching through Micah is this message of healing and restoring and uniting, then our role as we sit with our books open to probably this obscure uh, writing that we haven't read before or we only read when our Bible um, plans take us through it and we don't really quite grasp it, what we ought to do when we come to this book in any piece of scripture is humble ourselves. Let scripture read us and tell us who we are and who God is. We humble ourselves under God's word and we listen. And so before we go any further, I want to pray. I want to pray again. And if you've been with us for any time, um, you're going to know this. If If you're pretty new, you may not have heard us say this, but prayer is not a transition here. Prayer is being with God, sometimes talking, right? And so whenever we get to a point like this in our message, I want to be very intentional and deliberate to put ourselves in the right mind frame because God is with us. I want to listen to what he has to say. So would you please pray with me? Father, we come before you again just asking that you would Soften our hearts that you would open our deaf ears. God, would you give us a humble spirit to not blow off your, uh, your discipline and your instruction, and, but also to not grow defensive and to not grow hardened when we're confronted with our sin. Would you soften us so that we would listen to you, the only voice that brings truth and life. Let us sit under your word and learn from it. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for opening our hearts and our eyes and our ears. Amen. So, Micah 1.1. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth. Now, typically, when a prophet's identified, you'll see it at the beginning of Jeremiah, of Isaiah, Jonah. Any prophet that you read, it says... Um, their name and their father, right? Because usually when there's a prophet to Jerusalem, they're from Jerusalem. Their father and their clan and their, their lineage is from that area. So whoever they're prophesying to is going to know their family history. They're going to know what clan they belong to, what tribe they belong to. And they're going to have this background information about this prophet. Well, Micah was from Moresheth which is a town south and west of Jerusalem. He was called to Jerusalem, but he was from a different city. And so his father's name would have been irrelevant to the people he was preaching to. So to understand a little bit of Micah's background, he's identified as his place of birth, Micah of Moresheth. But this identification here, and in every other prophetic book, does not only serve this purpose. Um, I got a bag of coffee beans one time uh, that said, uh, know your farmer, right? And, and it had like uh, grown by and they wrote the name and then it was roasted by and then they wrote the name. And so it gave you a website and you could go onto this website and learn who actually was the person watering and fertilizing these coffee trees and who harvested them. And it told the whole story of that coffee farm And then the roaster put their story on there, and I could see the guy's name that roasted the beans. The reason for this is, one, because millennials are obsessed with, like, sustainability and authenticity, right? And we just need to make sure that I can see it's a real person, not a robot doing that. Um, But it shows you, through uh, the the time and the distance and the technology, um, that that What I'm about to drink, what I'm about to enjoy came from somewhere and has a story. It's authentic. It's real. It's meaningful. It's tangible. There are other people involved in the story of this coffee. It's not just a utility to give me caffeine. When we read the prophets... They give us their name and, and their, their identification to root us into their story. To say, I'm a real person. The this story, this, this prophecy from God, it's going to be hard to hear. But listen, I'm a real man who hears the real voice of God, and I'm recording real words. And there is a real audience hearing what I'm saying. And so Micah of Morasheth is put in there to, to bring this level of authenticity and reality. This is not a folktale or a myth. The word of God is real. God means to speak to us through Micah. And when God speaks, he always has something important to say. This is why we just prayed and why it's really important for us to humble ourselves under God's word. In this book and in the time that Micah was preaching, God is active. The prophets actually show us. um, So the word prophet means um, one who is chosen by God to speak for God. And so anytime there's a book of prophecy, this is someone saying, God gave me these words to speak, supernaturally. Um, and the, the descriptor minor prophet doesn't mean that um, it's less valuable or less important. It just means it's a shorter book. And so whether it's a minor prophet or uh, one of the larger prophets, the major prophets... What we need to understand when we read this is is that God is speaking. And when God speaks, he has something important to say. And, And in this time of Micah, God is speaking because he's living and active in the story of his people. Now, I want to pause there for a second and just ask you, when are the times that you feel most prone to doubt? Does it have anything to do with wondering, is God even here? Is God even speaking to me? Does he hear my prayers? Does he answer me? Is he at work in my life? Based on my story, I'd be willing to bet that, that yours is somewhat similar, that those are the times when you wonder if God is active and speaking. Those are the times when you wonder if, if he's there, if he cares. And when we listen to the word of God through the prophets, this is God declaring, I see you, I know you, and we should be terrified by that. And I'm coming. I'm gonna respond to you. I am responding to you. The promise I've always made to save you and heal you and restore you, I am fulfilling. And so through the story of Micah, we see God active in the life of his people. And we can trust that because God has always been active in the life of his people, he is still active in the life of his people. Through Micah, God proclaims that what our sin destroys, he heals. Raise your hand if anyone has ever felt intimidated by the prophets. I have felt intimidated. Wow, that's a lot. And I say that to say, if you looked around, there's a lot of people intimidated by the prophets. For one, when a prophet speaks, somebody's in trouble. It's terrifying. But they're also... A little bit hard to understand, aren't they? Like they use such illustrative words and stories and pictures. If you ever read Ezekiel, it's like a series of nightmares. Micah can feel intimidating, but my hope, so my primary goal for us is to understand the story of the Bible through Micah. That what God, what our sin destroys, God heals. Another goal of mine is that we would all together, collectively, take one step closer to being comfortable reading and understanding from the prophets to know who God is and who we are and what he's saying to us from the prophets. We'd be a little bit less intimidated by these guys with weird names. Micah was the most normal name that I could pick, like Obadiah. Nahum, I don't even know if I'm saying that right, but Micah and all of these other prophets tell us the story of God, right? And so uh, one thing that is really, really helpful for us as we learn from Micah that, that I want to encourage you guys to do if you're not already doing it is find where in Scripture um, these kings are recorded, right? It says... um that, that Micah, the word of the Lord came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Now, the story of these kings, this is a grandfather, his son, and his grandson. Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah are all this lineage, this royal lineage. They're stories we can find in 2 Kings 15-20. through 20. It's going to be helpful to you to read 2 Kings 15 through 20 as we work through Micah. If you just want to hit repeat on that and listen to that, we have Dwell. If you don't have Dwell, um, we can show you how to get a free account through our church. But listen to the audio or, or read in your Bibles 2 Kings 15 through 20, and that's going to give you the background knowledge. Now, what I, one thing I do want to point out that isn't made abundantly clear through 2 Kings that will be made clear through Micah is that Micah's primary rebuke for um, witnessing and preaching against the oppression of its own people, or Israel oppressing its own people, is their economic prosperity. The rich get richer, the poor get poorer, and the, the, the ones who are benefiting from this don't do anything to change it. They're working directly against the promises of God to the poor and the weak. That through the wealthy in the land, he will preserve them. And so they start dividing this promise out, right? And so Micah points out Israel's sin, their rejection of God's word. And the reason that we need to know this as we look through the context is because it's going to help us understand why is Micah saying this? Why is he using this image? It's on purpose that he talks about a shepherd. It's on purpose that he talks about people needing to shave their heads. These aren't just random illustrations. So to understand what and why Micah is saying what he's saying, we need to look at the context. Now, there's an important aspect to studying the Bible that we have to understand that if you're going to take Brian's class or you've taken it before or you've, you've known for decades how to study the Bible, you probably know that the very um, first step to understanding a passage or a book is to understand what the author means to say to its original audience. So we must first understand what does Micah mean to say, what is God saying to 8th century B.C. Israel and Judah? We've got to understand first what the author says to his original audience, and then we understand how are we like that audience so that we can see what God is saying to us. And through this process, we learn from Micah. Um, Now, that's important for me to say very explicitly because this is an ancient book. It's almost 3,000 years old. Isn't that incredible that we have the words from 3,000 years ago? It's almost 3,000 years old. It has an ancient message to an ancient audience. But just because it's ancient doesn't make it irrelevant. Being old doesn't make it obsolete. Can I get an amen for that? Like we've, we've, This is a church full of young people, and sometimes we forget that we need the older saints to help us. Just because you're old doesn't mean you're obsolete, okay? <laughs> young people, hear me. I heard a, a, R.C. Sproul made this um, connection between aging and spirituality, and he was saying, you know, when you're young, your physical vigor is high and your spiritual maturity is, is low, and as you age, those two things start to invert. And there's a there's like a top shelf to how like your physical abilities can go. But with Christ, there's no shelf to how high your spiritual maturity can go. And so this is why, young people, we need the older people in this church to help us along. Old does not need to be a pejorative here. That doesn't need to be a word that makes... A book or a person feel obsolete and irrelevant. That needs to be a word that helps us. Learn. Oh, I need to go there. I need to learn from that person. I need to learn from this book. Get back on track. <laughs> the point is, prophets have come and gone. Churches have come and gone. Every one of us will come and go. Micah died thousands of years ago, but the message that God preached through Micah will not and cannot die because God means to heal what our sin destroys. He's in process of healing, but also he he has already healed. He has already forgiven. He has already restored. And that healing and restoration and and reuniting is ongoing. What is that, Brian? What is that whenever something is stated and it's like permanent? What's that English term? You're putting me on the spot here. English major over here. If anybody has that, you can send it to me later. Yeah, I'm the only person that says anything about Brian's college degree. He doesn't, because he doesn't want the emails, (laughs) but I need help. What our sin destroys, God heals. He has done it, and he will continue to do it. This message, this gospel will never grow old. It will never go obsolete. It will never go out of style. It will never become less valuable, less meaningful, or less important in your life ever. We will always have something to learn from the gospel. We will always have something to remember. Guys, I cannot wait to preach seven more sermons on this. Micah 1.1 ends with the identification of this original audience. Who is Micah preaching to? It says, concerning Jerusalem and Samaria. The, The word of the Lord that he saw a little bit weird, I know, it's prophet language. He saw the word, we'll get there, concerning Jerusalem and Samaria. Now, to give you a little bit of the background context, that history, um, 2 Kings 15 through 20 tells us about the kings that uh, Micah preached to in the nations, right? Well, 1 Kings 12 tells us Why is Micah preaching to Jerusalem and Samaria? You'll probably hear me reference throughout this book the northern kingdom of Israel, whose whose capital city was Samaria, and then the southern kingdom of Judah, whose capital city was Jerusalem. Those two nations were not meant to be two nations. They were given to their people sent to this land to be one nation. But through um, the story in First Kings 12, I encourage you to go read that as well. Uh, we learn that the, one of the grandsons of King David, the son of Solomon, Rehoboam, was a bad dude. He did not lead Israel in the way of the Lord. And one of the outcomes of his sinfulness was um, stubbornness and hard hard-hearted, hard. Hard-hearted. that is hard to say, that led to the division of Israel into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And Micah, not all prophets do this, Micah preached to both. He preaches to Samaria less, but he preaches to both. Now, why is that significant to our time in this book? Because the promise that what our sin destroys, God heals, was given to one nation. It was given to a people. This God who brought Israel out of slavery, cruel slavery in Egypt, this God who promised to give them a land flowing with milk and honey, who promised to make them a great nation that would bless the whole world, this God who promised... uh, many people more than the sand on the beaches and the stars in the sky because they didn't agree on something and someone's sin got in the way they divided the inheritance it's it's like siblings of a family being estranged from one another is anybody familiar with that context has anybody ever experienced the the sadness and the The brokenheartedness of um, maybe a parent losing a child in relationship. Maybe um, siblings who don't speak to each other. Maybe there's a part of your family, whether it's your uncles and your cousins or or whoever it might be, that, that we just don't talk to them anymore. There was some argument, some disagreement, some division that caused us to go our separate ways. And it's been years and years and years. Now this is significant to the book of Micah and the history of Israel, the history of the promises of God because God did not intend that, but Israel's sin tore them apart. Why would God preach a message of healing and restoration to a nation torn apart? Because what our sin destroys, God heals. He plans to bring them together, to reunite them. They made themselves enemies with each other, and in their sin, they have actually made themselves enemies with God. Do you feel like, okay, it's easy for us sometimes to say, oh yeah, those people are estranged, but what if I'm the estranged one? What if I'm the one isolated? What if I'm the one alone? What if I'm the one hurting and pushing everyone away from me? This is who God is speaking to in Micah. The division of Israel revealed that God's people preferred their own way over God's way. They rejected the inheritance and the promise that God gave them. They rejected God even calling them to repentance, to turn from going their own way and to trust him and to follow him and be reunited. They rejected these messages as we call that sin. And here's another way that we are like the original audience of Micah. Not only that we sin, but that we reject God's call and invitation to repentance. Our hearts grow hard, our ears grow deaf, and we refuse to listen to God calling us back into relationship with him and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pause here for a second because what this does our sin causing divisions in our relationships division between us and God when when our sin divides us and God has made a way to heal us and he is actively healing us he's seeking to reunite us and himself right and he has already done that. Our sin no longer separates us from God for those who have faith in Christ. But our sin can still separate us from one another and it causes divisions between one another. So God speaks to Israel and also God speaks to us and he shows us our sin and invites us into repentance. And so As we look out on the next two months of Micah, I want to point us back to two things. We're going to ask God for two things. This is going to take humility. We're going to pursue repentance in ourselves. We're going to confess our sin to God. We're going to confess our sin to one another. We're going to to accept the forgiveness that we have in Christ but we have to humble ourselves in order to get there. And so here's the two questions that we need to ask. How do I prioritize my own way over God's way? In what ways in my life do I prioritize my way over God's way? Now, you probably already know the answer to that question in your own life. You probably already know. But if you need help, look to the places where there's division. Look to the places where there's isolation. Look to the places where there might be ongoing, sustained conflict. And go there with Jesus. Don't go there alone. Go there in community and go there in prayer and ask the Lord to humble you and show you, where am I going off in my own way? Rejecting your invitation to repentance. So that's the first question. The second question, how do we, like Micah's audience, prefer to reject the truth about ourselves? In what ways do we find it difficult to hear the truth about ourselves? And again, you probably already know, I certainly know, like, the things I'm insecure about that I need the most help with, that I'm the most defensive about. But if you need help, consider what conversations or in what relationships are we quick to say, well, they just don't know. They they just don't really know the, the full story. They don't know the truth. Or maybe... Um, We actually are are willing to say, you know, when someone brings something to us, and we say, well, that's just not true. Let me explain why I did that. Or you could even ask the question, who do they think they are? What gives you the right? What... What we're being invited into in the book of Micah is an opportunity to humble ourselves, to listen to God, and and in faith receive the truth that what our sin has destroyed, God plans to heal. He is healing. He has healed. He plans to bring more healing. Don't, Don't we want that? Like don't don't we want to go from death to life? It's worth it. Freedom is worth repenting. We can pay that cost. The pain of seeing your own sin is worth having the fullness of life in Christ. The pain of saying I was wrong I hurt my brother. I hurt my sister. The pain of accepting failure is worth unity in Christ. It's worth union with Christ. It's worth it. We can humble ourselves and listen because what our sin has destroyed. God heals. And when we refuse to confess and repent, when we reject God's invitation, and we continue on in sin, we reject God's healing. We reject God's promise of hope. I want to skip ahead to Micah 5. If you already turned there, Micah 5. We're going to look at verses 2 and 4. We'll also have it on the screen. That promise, what our sin has destroyed, God heals, is fulfilled in Micah 5. The the promise to the people who hadn't had that fulfillment yet gives them hope to look ahead. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Verse 4, he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For he, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. God fulfilled this promise. Um, One of the coolest things about Micah is that every prophecy came true. Every one of them. There wasn't a promise that Micah made, that God made through Micah, that didn't come true. This is the biggest one. A fulfilled prophecy is not like just checking off a box. Okay, that happened. Let's move on. We have this, like, fixation with the promises that God has yet to fulfill, like all the, all the things that the Bible says that we're so scared of and we're, like, worried about happening and we need to keep our eyes there. No, 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 no. Look to the promises he has fulfilled. Look, look at all those boxes that are checked. Because just because a promise has been fulfilled, a prophecy has been fulfilled, does not mean we can just shove that back into the past and forget about it. It has not lost its meaning in its fulfillment. It has gained more meaning in its fulfillment. It has acquired all of the fullness of its meaning in its fulfillment. And the promise here in Micah 5 2 and 4 is Jesus. That God sent forth his son to be a good shepherd from him from ancient days. That's a Hebrew way of saying he was never born. He's always been. He was there when we created the world together. The promise of Micah is Jesus. What our sin has destroyed, God heals in Jesus. What our sin has torn apart, God reunites in Jesus. What our sin has wounded, What our sin has broken, our own stories, our our dreams, like what we thought life was going to be like, our hopes for relationships, that maybe I'll make it out unharmed. Maybe I'll make it out without an addiction. Maybe I'll make it out without you fill in the blank. And you don't, because you can't. But God heals it in Jesus. The promise of Micah is Jesus. My prayer for the next eight weeks really, like my, my prayer for forever. Is that our church would grow in humility to the message of Micah that that God has given us the fullness of justice and mercy in Jesus? These things that we think are are opposing truths. Jesus fulfilled and united justice and mercy. The justice we deserve in our sin, He took. The mercy we don't deserve, He gives. My prayer is that we would grow in humility to receive Jesus. As we listen to the words of Micah, I know it's a dangerous prayer to pray for humility. Have you ever like prayed for patience and then the next day you're like, ah, wait a second. I just prayed for patience. Dang it. We're gonna pray for humility. We have been praying for humility and we're gonna get to that point where we're like, I prayed for this. I know it's a dangerous prayer, but listen, humility is the only faithful response to the gospel. It's the only obedient response to the gospel. John, the the apostle John in his narrative of the gospel says, less of me, more of him. And it's through John the Baptist. Less of me, more of him. That's the life of the Christian. Humility is less of me, more of him. That's my prayer for our church. We can humbly listen and respond because Jesus has offered us all of God's justice and mercy. He has endured all of God's justice and mercy on our behalf. But not only that, we can humbly listen and respond because Jesus offers us mercy and forgiveness. What our sin divides, Jesus reunites. What our sin breaks, Jesus restores. What our sin destroys, Jesus heals. Jesus is the fulfillment of Micah. We are forgiven. We are restored. We are healed. We are reunited in Him. And so this is why we celebrate communion. This is why every single week, we beat this drum. We're going to do it a little bit different today. We've done this before. So um, we have, we're going to have four stations, two on the outside, uh, and then two here on the inside. Now, it's a little bit confusing, so I need you to really pay attention. We're going to come up through the outside aisles and this middle aisle. So come get the elements on the outside and this very middle aisle, and then go back through the other ones you didn't come up. So we're coming up to, towards the, the stage on the outside and the very middle, and we're coming back this way. Now, the reason that we do this, the reason that we take a, a Sunday to do this special time every quarter or so is because we've instructed these people giving you communion to say, the body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. And they might say your name if they know you. Let that sink in. If you are a believer and your faith is in Jesus to be the promise of hope. For your forgiveness and your mercy. That he took death for you and he gives you life. If this is your hope, then please come and partake. But if this is not your hope, we're praying for you. We're we're glad that you're here. You are welcome here. We want you here. But if you want to have more conversation about this, if if you are saying today's the day, I, I, I do, I accept this. Come take and come have a conversation with me or Brian. We'd love to hear about that. But for those of us who proclaim Christ's death, take the bread, take the cup, we do this to proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. Please join me at the table.